Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Big Boss Battles Big Boss Babble. Joining me this week is Dan. Not answering again, as per damn usual. I did. I said hello. And nothing came through to us, sir. <laughs> oh. Look at the circle. The this circle is like three weeks up. in a row, Dan. Three weeks in a row. <laughs> there we go. And George. Hello. Because I can hear and talk at the same time. Yay. And Toby's left us again because he had other plans, apparently, Bastard. whatever that means. Indeed. Traitor. <laughs> What's more important than the podcast, seriously? Right, Back so... <laughs> we're just getting more insults out of, it, out of the way. <laughs> Actually, no, we best stop before they get particularly dirty, and we'll have to edit them out. So let's, let's start then this week uh, with Activision and COD World War II. Yay! So, one... It's Call of Duty, so we already know it's a crap game. But they've done something that that patent that showed up a couple of weeks ago kind of kind of led us to believe what what, what would be happening. So, what's happening is when you're in a um, a lobby waiting for the next game and such like, you can open your loot boxes. Nothing, really, nothing special there. But everyone else can see what you get in your loot boxes. It's not exactly like the patent, but yeah, it's, it's disgusting and horrible. It is, because ba- it's, it's, the patent was basically, let's show off what people have got so other people buy them. That's what this is. What if they are loading loads of people who haven't spent money into into lobbies with loads of True. wows as well? Exactly. And then like, that's it. That's it. That's the patent. It's done. It's now out there. Yeah. Go into a lobby and you're like, I haven't spent a single penny. And there's people in there that are like... Yeah, I just opened a loot box and I got a diamond cigar. Yes. And I'm sitting there going, I've got a pea shooter and a butter knife. Yeah, I mean, they had to take time to program this and put this in. And you have to wonder, what was the thinking behind this? So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, yeah, it's not good. Not good. Somebody... They, just, they just need to stop it. They just need to stop here. There's somebody somewhere with their arms crossed across their chest, laughing like that guy from the start of uh, Golden Axe 2, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rocking his head back. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. There's a guy doing that as he's... Sitting on a pile of money. Alter ...the people who spend a lot of money directly in front of the people who don't spend a lot of money to try and get them into spending a lot of money to expand the the length of their income really it, it doesn't matter if they don't sell as many copies this year because the average person will probably be spending more money after this yeah and i mean that's kind of thing i kind of i, I kind of find weird is like i guess this, these tactics do work i've never i guess it's like the point of buying an expensive car it's like you see an expensive car and you're like oh man i wish i had that car but i've never been like that type of person but it's just it's sad. It's really very predatory, and it's pretty much exactly what we've been talking about for weeks now. It's, it's, it's gambling. It's, it's predatory. It's, it's just, it's basically kind of preying on people who, who enjoy these games and, w- and want to have fun, but at the same time now they're like being almost forced into paying extra. It's just really, I have nothing nice to say about this. This is just crap. No, it is utter, utter crap. Loot boxes need to die sooner rather than later because this it's it's gonna i think it's gonna kill the industry in the long run i i don't i don't think that's i think that's true sadly because they they've 
they've dropped so much money into marketing. They've dropped they've dropped so much money into the research behind this. I don't. I deal with the average consumer every day at my job, and the average consumer is uh, unfortunately dumb. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think it is going to kill the industry. I think they they know what they're doing, and it's it's um the, the world. It's um that's my dog. Um, and it's kind of dumb. Yeah, I just think it's going to get to the point. You know, the the gulf between the AAA and the rest of the industry is just going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, I mean, what's the alternative? Because we do need to these bigger titles where the budget is that much higher. Sales do need to find a way to get extra money. I mean, they could put the price up. They could do a second season pass. They could make it a live product and release a season pass every six months, essentially meaning that a three-year product rather than a year-long product earns seven times the amount of money of the initial purchase. You know, what what do you think the to, to increase the income, to increase the quality as well as the expenditure? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? There isn't. They've they've come across a way to get very, a lot of money for very very little input. Like you say, yeah, you could do. They could do a rolling season pass system, but that means then the developers have got to do constant work. This is dropping a loot box system. We're done. Roll in the cash. These items couldn't they put these items up on a storefront? If they made them all cosmetic, then couldn't they put them all up on a? And so somebody wants their gun to be gold or somebody wants their gun to have Garfield the cat on it. They can pay a small fee and they get their Garfield gun or they get their golden gun. What, just switch it out to straight up microtransactions? Just, I want that, I'm going to buy that. Maybe make it so that in that lobby area you can go into a, because it's already super realistic, you can go into a shop and there can be a guy with a spray can like, yeah, give me two quid and I'll spray your gun to look like a lizard or something. You know, see that yeah, I, I still don't really like it because I'm not a big fan of microtransactions easier, but it's a hell of a lot better than the loot box system. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to beep it now. No. Bleep. Yeah, that's it. You're going to have to beep it. <sighs> yeah, you edit the podcast. Tweak it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I, I, I kind of want to finish my sentence on my dog. Dog's done digging for China. Um, the, I'm not saying the average consumer is dumb. Um, let me be more specific. They're just unaware. I feel like that was mean for me to say. Um, and I just don't think they would put this much money and this much effort into something that would tank the industry. They know what they're doing. They know they're going to get away with it. And it's going to take some sort of real colossal display of greed and evil for there to be in any any change. And I don't know. They, and you know what? They might have the balls enough to try that. And they, some, I'm not saying that isn't impossible, but I don't think this will tank the industry. I think it'll have to be, they will shoot themselves in the foot faster than microtransactions tanking the industry. Well, they'll kill themselves before. <laughs> right. Yeah. They'll, yeah. They'll basically do something just so ridiculous, so upfront that everyone's going to be like, hey, even the most basic of consumers are going to go, that's just not right. And that's what's going to kill them. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for them to, or a company to start. Uh, setting up a monthly subscription to play multiplayer, like an MMO. That might be it, yeah. That might work. There are still people out there who buy the new Call of Duties to play the single player. And to be honest, I th- actually, now I come to think of it, that would probably be good, because you'd have a lot less little kids shouting and swearing at you, because they wouldn't be able to pay the monthly fee. But then you would have a $60 game with a $15 subscription fee, that's a lot of money. Spending twenty dollars on 
loot crates. Right. And then the season pass. Well, it. I mean, it, it, it depends, right? So most people, like, say, say for example, Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, which just come out. That's a $60 game, single player only, and is has generally been received very, very well. And yep. sorry, I'm, <laughs> I've I've not even been drinking. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been received very, very well, and you know, getting high praise from everywhere. Now, if say Activision or you know, well, they're the publisher, but whichever dev have decided this year is going to make the Call of Duty game, put massive amount of effort into the single player campaign to make that worth sixty dollars on its own, then charge people if they wanted to play multiplayer. Would that then be fair? Uh, almost like so. Almost as if the multiplayer is a completely different experience. So you got you've paid your sixty dollars for your single player campaign, and then multiplayer you pay extra for because they need to pay for the servers and lunch and stuff. I mean, ultimately, I mean, I, I, I think we're gonna. I mean, we're, we're giving these people ideas, so I don't know if we should be discussing. This. No, I, I, I think that I think that charging for the online rather than going on the microtransactions thing probably would work because they have got servers that are required to keep that up to date. Whereas the single player is, but, uh, but that's what you pay for PlayStation Plus and Xbox Gold for. Well, no, that's what you pay Microsoft for Xbox it. Gold for, or Xbox for because Microsoft control the servers for all the games there. PlayStation don't. That's uh, the, that's the one problem with the with the the PlayStation Network is that a lot of their servers are outsourced third party stuff by the original developers and whatnot. They get paid for them by PlayStation through the subscription, but at the same point, it's still not Sony looking after the servers a lot of the time. One thing that they should have done a long time ago is separated Call of Duty Zombies from the mainstream from the mainstream games. They should have really just released the Call of Duty Zombies and then released extra maps for that every three months or every six months, charging for them as DLC and just had a live product. Yeah, see, they've always now, followed somewhat of the same formula. One thing they have done as well, and we've actually got it because Charlie wanted it, is they've actually separated the multiplayer before. You could buy, I can't remember what one Charlie's got, I think it's Black Ops 2 on the PS3, but it's a, it was 15 quid, and it's just multiplayer. The, the single-player campaign's not in it at all, it's just literally true, yeah. just the multiplayer component of the game. Had a good so, single-player. Yes. Yeah, it, so, had a branch, sorry? Had a branch, it had a branching single-player. Yeah, but what I'm saying is the version that he's got is just literally a multiplayer disc. It literally says on the front, Call of Duty Black Ops multiplayer, and there's, there's nothing else in it, there's no single-player, you just put it in, go online, play. So why can't they do that the other way around? They completely separate it. Almost, you know, like you know, like how there was they, when they when they were out in the in the sort of late nineties and mid nineties, there was Unreal, and then there was Unreal Tournament. Yes. Do that. Have literally like, two games. Do you think you really could get away with telling people in this year, this day and age, that we're going to divide up more of our product? And it just it if it, it's it's the way I mean it was okay back then. I don't think you could get away with that kind of thing these days. I don't think you I don't I don't know. I, I think they I think you could purely because and also they've already done it. Is a lot of people buy Call of Duty for multiplayer on its own. They don't yeah. even play the single player. So if they did separate it off, you'd have the people that wanted to play the single player and maybe a bit of multiplayer. And then here we go. There's the multiplayer. If you don't want to play the single player, and you don't care. Just get this. It's a bit cheaper. Blah blah blah. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, if you kind of, if we, if the pricing were a la carte like that, if they reduce the price based on what you wanted, sure. Yeah, so say, say you, say you release the, the campaign for, you know, a, a, a big chunk of it, like $45 or something, and then 15 bucks for a multiplayer. Just split it. And I, I, I guarantee the multiplayer will still sell more. 
to drop Probably. the price on the single player as it ages and keep the multiplayer the same. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. Of I don't think they'd do it. The... Well, the thing is, they already kind of develop the multiplayer and the single player separately. Yeah, sometimes even completely different dev teams do it, don't they? See, you've got the multiplayer needs to be balanced in a completely different way than the single player story, which is still very much a corridor shooter. Despite what it looks like or pretends to be, it's still very much a corridor first person shooter, same as they have been since, you know, the first Medal of Honor. Yeah. Or alternatively, like we mentioned, you do a subscription thing. Maybe don't even charge for the multiplayer, have it be a subscription, and basically just every, every year or, you know, it, or whenever they want, because it's going to be online multiplayer anyway, you just go, here's new maps, here's new this, here's new that. We've, we've updated the engine for the new year. Here we go, you've got that now. Da, 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 da. And just have it as a they rolling could, thing. That way they could make the maps free. They could, they could, they could give you three months when you buy the game, yeah. and then then they could release new DLC every three months and five minutes, thus incentivizing people to buy a new three months to see the new content. And they could release the new content for free because they know they're going to get 100,000 or million people buying a new subscription to get access to that content. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, a lot of companies like to bring up all consumer choice and all that kind of stuff. That's the ultimate choice. I only want to play multiplayer. I'm going to do this. I want the single player. I'm going to do this. Simple. I, I think you're likely more to see that thing coming out of the indie game sector than you would ever see that coming out of the AAA sector. I hate to be the naysayer in this, but it's they'll never do that because they they're going to go look at the bottom line. This is they're going to go with the safe bet rather than taking risks, and that's why it's a cool idea. It's an interesting one for sure, but I think they're going to go for the safe bet, and they're always going to go for the cash, whatever works best. Whatever gives them their their bucks. There are people out there with more money than cents who will happily just spend a little bit of money to get ahead. Xbox One and... owners. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> and, and those people. Oh boy! In simple, just do that. You know, they don't care about loot boxes. They don't think it's anti-consumer. They don't think it's this or that. They think, hey, right. I can spend a little bit of money and get ahead. And right. you know, that's that's that. Yeah. For the industry, I guess. Because it, it's a problem for everybody except for them, really. I uh, think that loot boxes and this kind of thing will work their way into other titles, specific type of title that that it fits. And there's so many games that are coming out that don't fit that spread to. Uh, I, I do think this. I think there is essentially a bubble, uh, and this bubble is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it will be only a matter of time before something happens that does pop it. When or where and how it's going to be, it's going to be disgusting, it's going to be bad, and I think a lot of people are going to go down for it. But I don't, I I don't... don't know. You, you say it's going to be disgusting and bad. There is one way that it can that it can pop and it'd be good, and that's that it gets deemed as gambling and gets made illegal. That's true. That's very true. It will and... probably happen as soon as the government either find or decide they can't find a way to tax it. Yep. Well, that's a bit of a problem because uh, the ESRB is in the government's pocket. Uh, I hate to bring up some real-world news, but they basically recently got a big tax cut here in the U.S., and um, I don't think that would ever happen at this point. They're they're so in on the, the politics side of things, I don't think that would happen, sadly. At least not here in the United States. Yeah, well, that's that was the reason I brought up a couple of weeks ago why they didn't deem it illegal because then it would make the games be adult-only, therefore not being able to be sold in stores and would hurt the industry. So they're just going, no, we'll let it slide. 
Fine. But anyway, let's let's keep it on the downside, and we'll get to, we'll, we'll cheer it up a bit <laughs> later on. Uh, let's move on to Ubisoft and their DRM fun and with Assassin's oh. Creed. Woo! Is this dance right? Show that. Tell us about the things again. The thing. Basically, uh, recently the new one, oranges. Yeah, oranges. Oranges. Yeah, yeah, Assassin's Creed oranges. Yeah, uh, launched mm. recently. Uh, it was uncovered by some people that there were things in the things and that the DRM was doing things to the things. And apparently they un- they Is came it... to understand that I will get more specific in a second. <laughs> <laughs> and that the DRM systems that they had in place uh, were running a check pretty much every second, every frame, actually. Uh, and they deemed these people that that was having a major effect on the performance of the game. That was obviously a big thing. DRM does run checks as games run. That's what it does. It makes sure that people aren't pirating, something like that. But if it was checking every single frame, and of course something like that would have an you know, effect on performance, even if it was just minor, even if it was just using up one tiny KB of memory, it's still going to have an effect. Yeah, it was... I mean, looking at screenshots that were posted in the original article, there was a guy showing off his um, uh, system, and AC Origins was using over 85% of his CPU, and, which uh... isn't normal. A game shouldn't use that much of your CPU. GPU, fine, but not your CPU. Ubisoft do... Ubisoft do... They're making PC versions of the games. They're always a good way to see when you've got to upgrade a system. Their games actually don't let you play on Ultra if you've not got the system specs for it. A lot of games don't do that. They let you suffer for trying to go for loftier graphic settings, whereas uh, most of their games are aware and do block out when you're trying to get better than you can actually get. And so I do expect Ubisoft games to use a lot more system resources because they always feel really well optimised you know, ignoring the weird bugs that they sometimes get. I've got no face. Exactly. <laughs> but, My horse uh, is falling into the ground. A Ubisoft have come out and they've said, hello, everyone. It's not impacting the game's performance. And oh, ig- ignore those people. It's just anti-tamper. Is it? Don't worry about it. It should, on the minimum and recommended specs, ensure a steady 30%. Uh, 30 frames a second performance. Yeah. They, it looks DRM. Like they really, it looks like they released a patch as well, which people expected it to be like a, a cheeky, oh, sorry, we, we mucked muck this up. But no, it had no effect whatsoever on the resource hogging of the game. I mean, to quote Jim Sterling, oh, Ubisoft. I mean, <laughs> seriously. And you know, I feel like, I mean, this kind of probably could be like a dumb, obvious statement, but what this all goes back to is this goes back to you know, this goes all back to that market analyzing thing. They want to know what you're doing. They want to know what your what your actions are. They want to scan and then find out what you like and what you do like and then sell it to you. And that's what exactly this is. And it's just... Ugh. I think the DRM stuff is literally to try and stop piracy more than anything. I mean, yeah, that's true, but... I, doubt they're, ah, I ah. doubt they're really pulling information and stuff. Although most, most modern games can do that anyway. Uh, the way that switches and variables work, it tracks pretty much anything that yeah, don't need go, to, you, they don't need to... You've got this CPU, this GPU, this much RAM, this much hard drive space to bring a nice SD. It will know all the information, what OS is using and all that kind of stuff. It won't take anything personal. They also know your actions a... as well. I mean, 
amazing stuff shown over the years where people have said, right, you know, like movement maps and heat maps after games, they're pooling all of this information all the time. So you can see from looking at 10,000 people's play of the division, which we know that Ubisoft were tracking stuff like that, that some people were glitching through walls and some people were doing this and that and people were getting stuck on this bit of the game and so they released a patch and they tweaked things slightly or they filled in that hole in the wall. Similar thing happened with Call of Duty World at War, I believe, uh, way back when, 2008. But uh, so that kind of information is is definitely always about and, and such. But yeah. Uh, do you think anybody... Slightly tangentialized. Do you think anybody has ever released a patch for a game that's had nothing in it? We fixed all of the problems, like a kind of placebo patch. I wouldn't be surprised. It's been kind of like a balancing patch, but they've not actually patched anything. They placebo just said they did. Patch. I've not yeah. heard of anyone doing that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it yeah. did. Very cool. It sounds like a. <clears throat> That's a good way to kind of like just sedate people and get them off of a company's back. Like, oh, yeah, we patched stuff. If it's not working, just keep trying and while they're actually still working on it. <laughs> yeah, that could totally work. I, I, I would be interested in reading a case study on that. But uh, I hate to sound like the conspiracy theorist here, but I think that this is more than just why, why would it need, needs to be constantly <laughs> checking every second for piracy? That's a load of bollocks. I'm sorry. There's something else going on under there underneath <laughs> the surface. That is very strange. I don't know what's going on there, but that's to that red that red, that's a red flag for me. I'm sorry. Sorry Fresh about, that. Is about that giggle there. I just always have to have a giggle when an American person says bollocks. <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. <laughs> I still think there's something going on there underneath the surface. Sorry, I've just I've just read what this VM protect actually is. Why did you say sorry? Because I was just interrupting you. So. And this this could this could actually explain the higher CPU usage, right? So look, so most protection systems encrypt the code, then decrypt it at the application startup. VM Protect doesn't decrypt the code at all. Instead, the encrypted code runs on a virtual CPU that is markedly different from generic x86 and 64-bit CPUs. So basically, this thing is running is is running an emulated CPU and then running the game on that. Cool. I mean. Theory, it sounds wacky and awesome, but yeah, that's kind of killer system. <laughs> yeah, it seems a bit much for just a freaking video game. Cool, crazy. So that that every frame or whatever is literally a handshake. Yeah, it will be than, between yeah. between the two, the real and the virtual CPU. That's mental. Speaking of uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, did you guys hear about that pyramid discovery? <laughs> Segway. Segway to the rescue. <laughs> Seamless, George. Seamless. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I heard, I heard earlier on today, possibly that, or it may have been yesterday, that there was a discovery of a new chamber in the pyramids of Giza, or in the great one of the, the larger pyramids. Possibly, I didn't look into it. Obviously, yeah. But... From what I understand, they use some sort of like crazy like particles or black matter. I don't know. I remember reading it in my brain exploding, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> They they used something to see that there was a hollow area within the uh, within the pyramid, and they don't know what it was for yet. It could be a terrible cursed chamber. Ooh. Uh, it's probably like, hey, we'll we'll store all of the brooms and stuff for cleaning up, <laughs> up here. and uh, we'll need a bucket for all of the water and stuff for cleaning the floors. That would before. be so lame. It's a janitor's closet. <laughs> but uh, 
but but the reason that you mention it is because Ubisoft managed to preempt the discovery at Giza or oh. yep like they knew maybe they maybe they 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 are behind all this yeah, it's actually a, it's actually the most expensive publicity stunt ever. They dug out, the, <laughs> they, they they went in and dug out the center of Giza's pyramid. <laughs> They're gonna crack it open and just find crap tons of Assassin's Creed copies that didn't sell. That's that's the thing. They, they eventually, they're gonna get into the real one, into that little chamber, and it'll be full of loot boxes. Oh Jesus! But I mean, it is interesting. Uh, it is a rather the real one, anyways, is a rather large chamber. So who knows what's actually in there? It's not a janitor-sized closet, so it has to be something. But it is kind of neat that a video game did kind of like match reality even before uh, it was an actual thing. I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, they theorized that there would be two further chambers beyond the king's chamber, uh, and so they popped them there and they just filled them full of loot, which is obviously useless to assassins because they only live for murder and death. But uh... I mean, it's kind of a neat thing. It goes to show you that they do a lot of, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I would imagine there's a lot of research and kind of thinking behind kind of capturing that time frame. And it is a compliment to Ubisoft that they got a logical sense of what would happen and that they actually kind of nailed that, hey, there's probably a chamber in there. And they were right. I mean, that's kind of neat that their research in a way was correct before it was actually true. Uh, Ubisoft have, is it Alice that's based in canada in vancouver i have no idea they have a studio that's just dedicated to the creative stuff to the storytelling stuff oh, okay that's cool which they use for all of the writing in all of their games uh which is why you have some <laughs> games that kind of link together which is why their their story quality and their their kind of strength of world creation kind of stepped up uh probably about five or six years ago it's probably more than that actually time flies but but no I, I think it's fascinating that they've discovered this new this new area inside the real pyramids and it was kind of preempted by a game studio of all places i mean have you seen the side cut of the pyramids no, i have not i have it, not it, it's it's kind of a little bit of a kind of like that there's something there same time it's a little bit like well i guess if everybody else has looked then there's no way it could do it for you lot oh but, very cool Kind of like that is a big old void. I mean, yeah, they're building massive pyramids. Yeah, in other words, it's kind of like a duh. What did you think? There was nothing in there. <laughs> At the same time, you've kind of got to be a little bit like they have just built a giant pyramid for, you know, no reason other than burying someone. So maybe they are stupid enough to just fill it with, well, nothing. So it's the toilet. It's the uh, it's the pharaoh's toilet. Could be, but it's higher up, isn't it? He takes a dump on his slaves. Want to be uphill, would you? <laughs> you being buried, it's probably the uh, the swimming pool or the buffet table. Uh, oh, it's his game, the bowling it's alley, his game room, <laughs> bowling alley. There's, yeah, there's a bowling alley and a couple of billi- billiards tables in there. That'll confuse them. Pharaoh's man cave. <laughs> exactly. Well, I feel like we should end this conversation with asking: Does anybody here actually own Assassin's Creed Origins? I don't own any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have not played one since Assassin's Creed 2, which was exceptional. Uh, absolutely exceptional. I I played the first one and enjoyed it, but kind of bounced off of it. I kind of thought, this is great, but this isn't as revolutionary as everyone else is saying. And so I didn't touch the rest of the games after that. Uh, uh, let me insert the generic uh, Black Fag was a good game. Yeah, exactly. That's a the what? thing, isn't a it? Pirate Ship Driving Simulator 2014. 
Well, it's it's Sid Meier's yeah. Pirates. It's Sid Meier's Pirates, but it's a third-person game. So, hello, pirates. You don't get to dance with the governess Shanties. or the governor's daughter. But when <laughs> when Revelations came out, it had a really good trailer with a song by Iron by Woodkid called Iron. I I should try this series. So I went back and I got two, and played it and absolutely loved it. But uh, haven't got I, I have brother, opinions. I have opinions about Revelations, but I'll I'll leave that for after the podcast. <laughs> played Revelations, so I've just played one and two. But uh, one day I'll play uh, Black Flag. Okay, excellent. Right, let's move on. Uh, this is sort of an extension to our real issues conversation that we had last week. So the Detroit and Last of Us Two trailers uh, got released, and they were made to deliberately touch nerves. And obviously, those trailers were definitely, you know, being trailers. They were definitely made to touch on nerves because it's always been in trailers, nature's nerves, and make a trailer that somebody's going to want to talk about. But everybody's very, I'm not going to say everybody's very sensitive, but everybody's very willing now to question things that shouldn't be the way that they are. Natural that people say to these trailers, actually, you know what? Showing this kind of thing with no context and trying to make something stick with us like that, that's not really on. Because I wouldn't want to walk into a room uh, and see that and somebody turns around and goes, hey, don't worry, we're just acting. Or, long story short, there's a this, this, and this. You know, So giving us a, a tiny slice of a game that's this you know, horrible, traumatic moment and going, yes, it will engage you emotionally, that's a bit... It's not really that appropriate these days. Like, I wouldn't want... You wouldn't promote... You wouldn't go, hey, there's a new Halo game, and then the trailer just be like Master Chief bursting into a room in the middle of a rape and beating everyone up. You, you'd want to show something of the actual... Of, I, of the game. You save I those moments. You, you save those moments for the actual game where there's content, where there's... Oh, sorry, not where there's content, where there's context, you know. Right, yeah. That, yeah. that moment is a dramatic moment in the game. You do not... You do not destroy that, for one, by spoiling it beforehand. And for two, that's a sensitive matter. Hey, why make that into the promotional material for the game? You know, oh. I appreciate you've put that in there for a reason, because you disagree with that. And you know that that's emotional and you know that that kind of action is wrong. And that's why that's in there, because games are emotive and games hopefully help us see what's right and wrong and help people who don't understand what's right and wrong see what's right and wrong. You know, they educate as well and they give us the right to correct these things. But for God's sake, why would you do that as a promotional material? Okay, well, I'm going to jump in here and play devil's advocate and say that I think as far, I think one of those those games is guilty of that and that's The Last of Us 2. But as far as Detroit goes, I felt like what they portrayed was the game itself. Because at the very end, they showed you that the context of the situation was that it was a game where there's multiple situations, multiple ways it could be played out. They did essentially describe what, why things were, what, why were things where they were. That was a weird sentence. Um, but Last of Us 2 did not. And that I will agree with you on. They literally just dropped you into the situation without any context and then showed you this hyper-violent situation, which I mean... Again, if you didn't know about the game, if you didn't know anything about it, yes, in the sense that it had no context, that would probably probably wasn't the best way to start things off. But this was also, keep in mind, the second, not the first, the second trailer for Last of Us 2. There was a first one where it just showed Ellie and her playing the guitar and all that kind of jazz. And then they, they dropped this one. So I don't, 
I think people are being a little bit too sensitive about this. But then how does that moment fit into the story? And why are you showing us story moments like that now rather than actual gameplay? Why not show an actual gameplay trailer? Are we meant to be getting excited for the game or are we meant to be getting excited for someone being traumatized? Uh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know how much for a rebuttal for that, but I mean... I'll tell yeah, you what, you're right. It, what, it, what it brings up to me is that... Obviously, this this isn't even game related, and not even an adult theme related thing. But Disney had the same issue with Cars Three. Do, do you remember the yes. issue they had with that? So the, the first trailer they showed off basically showed, with no context whatsoever, Lightning McQueen getting completely trashed. Yep. I mean, bear in mind that Disney uh, always lie in their adverts. Like, if you look at any dvd from seven years ago or five years ago and you look at the trailers for the next film it's never a proper representation of what actually happens in the film they always edit it cleverly so that you can't even properly guess the storyline but you are correct in the cars free trailer which obviously my household had an avid interest in <laughs> and mine. mcqueen was totally wiped out and you were like what you've just have you just killed him off i mean obviously you've <laughs> not killed him off you've just got you know you've basically just retired him like the Hudson Hornet but there was no context to it and it that gave no indication of what was going to happen in the story either you just knew that Lightning McQueen was going to be in an accident you know so it's not really a trailer it's a teaser uh, but it's a teaser of something that has no I just want to say that we should be careful what we say about our Disney overlords they are watching always we'll start saying nice things the house (laughs) the house of mouse is everywhere um yeah, I mean, yes, I, I, but I, I didn't disagree. I mean, the, the the Last of Us 2 trailer, with no context, without you knowing what it's about, it, it did come off slightly tasteless. It seemed to hyper, it was hyper-violence, it was kind of, kind of glorifying the violence. But again, I think if you, if you know what The Last of Us is, you know what to expect. I mean, if it's coming from somebody who's never, ever had to deal with the game, yes, it was tasteless. But again, most of us are aware of what The Last of Us is, and it, I guess to me, I wasn't super shocked, but I could see why people would be having that react- reaction based off of what you said, yeah. Numb to uh, violence in video games. Like, we can sit and watch it and say, no, I'm not interested in that. You know, have you played any of the Manhunt games? Uh, I have not, but I am familiar with them. Uh, Manhunt was an example. I played Manhunt. You know, that game was banned over here. I don't know if it was banned over there. But no, that game was banned. Uh, the first one was. No, the first one wasn't. The second one was second for one. a while. Yeah. Uh, I played Grand Theft Auto. I've played all of the violent games. No, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I've played all of them. And obviously in them you have to perform violent actions, the same as in, you know, Doom and Wolfenstein and most games. So, yes, I can sit there and watch these things. But that doesn't mean I have to be... A serial killer. If that makes no, 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 then that doesn't mean I have to be showing them. I'll quite happily play Slime Rancher, or I'll happily play Viva Pinata. You know, it's it's not a, you know, it's just an odd thing. I mean, it was tasteless. The game is more about the gameplay than the content within the game, is what you're saying. I mean, The Last of Us. Nobody says, "Yeah, do you remember that time that he smashed that guy's head into a desk at the end?" Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've not played it. (laughs) You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of head smashing. Nobody says that. They go, yeah, that was a really tense game. What a, quite a twist, you know, amazing scenery. You know, it felt like an adventure, but it actually felt tense and scary. And there was a this and that. People talk about everything else, you know. Those bits are just parts of the game that, that, that moved it along. So in 
it's it's a problem with advertising put simply because right now we're talking about these two games we're talking about these two trailers we we just mentioned cars free and all of these all of these things were made to get people talking they were made to make people think or to make people real or to make people you know right and that's what we're doing so they've worked so but i i think i don't which one was i think i think last of us was tasteless i think detroit was fine I mean, Detroit, we've seen gameplay before. We know what you do in that game. We also know that it's David Cage, it's Quantic Dreams, so it's going to follow a formula anyway. You're going to be walking into a place, you're going to interact with a few people, a long sequence will play out, you'll make a decision, a long sequence will play out, you'll make a decision, you'll interact with people, blah, blah, blah. We know that. We also know with The Last of Us, a lot of the stuff that will, you know, similar to the first one. Head smashing. But for new people, (laughs) but for new people they don't know that about either of these games. Now, at least the Quantic Dream stuff did show that there were interactions like that. The The Last of Us really just didn't... These these adverts aren't giving a slice of the game and really picking on, you know, things that touch nerves to try and advertise the game, which is what these trailers are. They're adverts. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. The shock for views kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And I don't think we need that. Well, for one, actually, I don't think I don't think we need that. I know that we don't need that. For two, I don't like it. We don't have to. I mean, we don't have to change it because I don't like it. But the fact is, you shouldn't have to make people uncomfortable in order to make them interested in your game. Where you're making people not interested in your game, you're dividing your audience by trying to deliberately make your game memorable with things that don't fit modern society or question modern or not question modern society but don't fit modern society you don't you don't go right we're making a new mario game here's mario going postal and taking out all of his co-workers at a post office and oh actually don't worry it's another 3d platformer and here's a uh, bowser choking peach a little <laughs> yeah exactly you know so nintendo got the right yeah I, I completely agree with you i think it in, in a way I think I think maybe it kind of it's a good thing that people did react in this way because maybe it does show that we aren't all hope, hopefully uh, you know hopelessly desensitized to this violence and these kinds of things and violence against people and horrific gore. So maybe it is a good thing that people did have rea- this reaction. I think uh, I think yeah, the second trailer kind of did bomb. I think the second trailer sucked. Um, it didn't tell anything about the story. It didn't tell anything about these characters. It didn't tell anything about the game for that matter. I think the first trailer was far superior, and I, I think maybe listening to you and the, kind of the way you're describing it, really, I do, I completely agree with you. I think it, um, they should have done better, and I think that it is, a, it is a kind of a shame on you type of moment that they should kind of reflect on, and be like, you know what, we shouldn't do that again. I think Quantic Dreams. I know I'm not some big, you know, suit, and I'm not some big executive, but I do think that Quantic Dreams could have done better as well. Do you think I, that, I think. I, They've shown they've even their first trailer, their first trailer. Okay, their first gameplay trailer. They showed a situation playing out in four or five different ways. That was that kid being held hostage, right? Yeah. Uh, outside the back of the house where the family had been, you know, had been killed by the the chap going rogue. Showed three or four different solutions to the problem. It was tense. It was dramatic. There was a little bit of mystery there. Uh, later on at E3, there were some playthroughs of it as well, guided playthroughs for the press. Okay, but... Watch, there's a little bit of mystery, there's a little bit of this and that, but it culminates in this big showdown that is pretty much an end-of-chapter moment. You know, it's a cliffhanger moment almost, but you choose how that cliffhanger ends. Right, and... but 
I, I, again, I, I would like to point out that technically speaking, we didn't really see anything happen. All we saw, I mean, yes, there was a little bit of domestic violence. There was a hostage situation, which was very reminiscent of the first trailer. It was more or less kind of a repeat of what we'd already seen. Again, maybe they didn't highlight as many different outcomes, but it was more or less the exact same thing that we'd seen before. Again, this is personal opinion, and this, especially of all of this topic, this is the most personal opinion, I suppose, of this bit, is they need to focus on showing that multiple choice fact that they you they have this wide berth of multiple options in their games. I mean, look at the endings of Heavy Rain. Look at the paths that were through that game. Look at how many choices and interactions there were for that. Players, or sorry, characters could die and just be completely wiped out. Everyone could be dead at the end, etc. You know, and, and this game is inevitably going to be the same. So, on showcasing just how different those branching stories can be. I know that doesn't make for as interesting a trailer, but it, but in an age where TV and big long-running series are coming back to the mainstream, people are interested in the impact that one episode has on the next. And so I do think that showing person made a choice an hour ago and we're here, but this person made that a different choice at that decision an hour ago and now we're here whoa, it's this of you, this character thinks this of you, this character's not even here because they're dead. You know, just showing the extremes. I think that's a much better marketing tool. Perhaps. Um, uh, But I still think what happened in this particular case is that one trailer was tasteless and shocking and was bent to stir emotions. And I think that because it was so poorly done, I think Detroit got lumped into that in a wave of... I don't want to say, but on a wave of kind no, of shock. I know what you're saying. Yes, yeah, I agree. If if Detroit was shown and that Last of Us trailer didn't peak, then right. they then Detroit probably wouldn't have got as bad a ride, as rough a ride as exactly. A big as well as that, I I do think that there's some bias towards Naughty Dog. Uh, we we do tend to think the best of them because they're so consistent with their games that that everybody got a little bit outraged at The Last of Us and a little bit outraged at... Or, sorry, they got quite outraged at that and they got a little bit outraged at uh, at Detroit and then do it's that. So, there. so it all got... Yeah, exactly. So I, I think you have a point there. Uh, I concede. So Excellent. Right. So I, I have not got real any interest in either of those games. <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as, a proud, like... as a proud Xbox One player. Terry's like, I don't care. <laughs> uh, I, I tried Heavy Rain, didn't get on with it, so I've not bothered with any of the Quantix other games, and I've not really played Last of Us either. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not big on them. But something that I, that I am big on, and we're going to move on to now, as Dan put it on the on the list, me to discuss is the decline of the Dreamcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you wanted me to lead with this. Not sure why. But let's let's make it. It's a really good and important topic. I think. I'm I think. Pulling up my history book here. Well, it, his, <laughs> exactly. Right. Here's here's a question, right? Because because I I know a lot of people, especially Lou, right? Absolutely love the Dreamcast, and they think it's one of the greatest systems ever made, right? But here's a question: from release date, how long was it before it got discontinued? <laughs> um, if you ask me, immediately. <laughs> Is Sorry? Four years? Two and a half. And that's from the Japanese release. If you take it from the American and European release, one and a half years before it got discontinued. Wow. Now, did they turn tail and run because of the competition? 
there was multiple issues that led to the downfall. A lot, most people just go, oh, it was because there was no protection and then you could just copy games onto CDs and there was no DRM and they could, they could self boot. You didn't need to do any mods or anything. But as, as we know, piracy hasn't actually got that much of an effect. It, there was multiple things. So one, Sega's management changed. Um, and that was in 2000. So about halfway through, management changed. And uh, then the new head of Sega was basically one of the biggest proponents for Sega to just leave the hardware business entirely. So he basically just took over and just went, nah, we're giving up. And he he wasn't behind the Dreamcast at all. Just literally pushed it out of the market. But I mean, they had, they had issues like from day one, really. I mean, they, they already had really bad um, relations with... Uh, retailers due to the, the the weird surprise launch they did with the Saturn which led a lot of retailers to just not carry Sega stuff anymore that they had to try and get back there was manufacturing issues in Japan you know there, there was tons of stuff and I mean the, the 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 thing only sold just over 9 million units now whereas people could complain that the Wii U was a, an absolute failure at 14 you know it seems weird that the Dreamcast is held in such a high regard when it was basically a complete failure of a system. Now, I'm not saying it was a bad system by any means. It's an absolutely fantastic system with some of the greatest games ever made on it, as Dan will attest with his love of Power Stone. Power Stone was a good game. Power Stone, uh, Shenmue. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is before we start on other things like, you know, Soul Calibur being the superior version on that on that console. Yeah. PC console crossplay with Quake 3. Yep, exactly. It was still talk to a chap in the warehouse. He occasionally mentions the fun times that he had. I, I mean, we could just say I think I think the problem with the Dreamcast is it was it was ahead of its time. I think that's what happened. I think it was way ahead of its time, and um, it was. And it, it it came out at a weird time. It came out at that halfway point between the PlayStation One and the PlayStation Two. Obviously, yeah. PlayStation One sold absolute gangbusters. People kind of knew that the PlayStation Two was going to be coming, and it came out right in the middle. And you had tons of people just going, no, I'm just going to wait for the PS2. I'm going to wait for the PS2. Especially in Europe and America, which didn't get it until almost a year after the Japanese release. That ruined any of its chances, because by the time it came out, the PlayStation 2 was literally six months away. So it was it was dead in the water before it started, which was a damn shame. Because, I mean, like like we said, we, you know, there was Soul Calibur was the best version. You had PC crossplay. First uh, system to have, or console system, to have true online play out of the box and i think that's what kind of what why people look back on it now and go yeah that was it was pretty uh, now we can look back on it and say it was kind of an amazing system for its time because we do recognize those things now and i think that's that uh, was a compliment to the dreamcast i owned a dreamcast i bought a dreamcast solely for power stone uh one to be exact not two but mm-hmm. um it was a good system it was, it was i do i do remember that the controllers were horribly designed though they they were kind of an evolution of the Saturn 3D pad, so it it took that kind of shape with it, and obviously it it had it had to incorporate two VMU slots, which yeah, made the was, back of it is massively bulky. But it was you, just... the VMU though, come on guys, the VMU oh, yeah. that was outstanding with the little display on it. You could take Power Stone One, you could take the you know, and you could take your chows out from yeah. Sonic Adventure. I actually and... found out as well the the greatest thing so. Um, and I have found this out when I had my Dreamcast. So a lot of games didn't do much with the VMU when it was plugged into the system. It might show the logo. I mean, I think I think uh, one of the Resident Evil games showed like a mini map on there. But Virtua Tennis recreated the entire game 
on that tiny little VMU screen while you were playing it. So you could literally, if, if you squinted, you could play virtual tennis on that little tiny screen while your Dreamcast was on. It was brilliant. But yeah, like Dan said, the, the KOs, the Sonic, the Sonic uh, Adventure, you could put a, a KO, which is a little creature, onto the VMU. And then it turned it into like a Tamagotchi. And you could take it around and plug it into your friend's VMU. It yeah. the docking thing yeah. that we're... <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was it, their, their ideas were were way out there and it was uh, at the time they it was did. easily the most powerful game system on the market so you know when people say like oh nintendo have done a nintendo but they say like done a nintendo like a positive thing rather than done a nintendo like not a positive thing yeah, sega sure. with the dreamcast did about four nintendos at yeah. once yeah. it was yeah. they, they really delivered in every every direction and i i i actually going back to an earlier point that terry made i do blame uh piracy and the lack of right protection on but that's only through my own personal experiences because i bought about six games for it after i had the console uh everything else was pirated because i didn't have an income at the time games from japan yeah uh, and i bought a couple of games but the rest of it were was was bought from a market from a from a chap on a market stall. I, I think even if the Dreamcast had sold like Gangbusters, even if I think the the games had been successful, I still think it was doomed from the start. I think Sega was heading in a direction where it was it was done. I don't think. I mean, like Terry pointed, it was a year and a half. They didn't they didn't give the system much long, and that that's very unusual for a company that's trying to put out a console. I think this thing was doomed from the start. Yeah. I don't think it would have mattered. And like I say, the, the management didn't like it. They didn't want to, the, the Dreamcast. They wanted to go solo. Even, who was it, Pete Moore? Yeah. Who was the, the thing then? And one of the other guys, I think it was um, Belfield. They were they were sort of top in the country, a company as well then. And, and they also was going with the pushing for to go software only. So, you know, when all the heads of the company just want to go software only and give up on hardware, it didn't have a chance. When when they were, they all came out and said that most of the studio heads just upped and left, so there was no one to no heads running the game studios anymore. So the games petered out and it was, it was just gone. Shame. But we have to, I think I think in many ways have to thank the Dreamcast and its legacy for the Xbox, the controller for a start. But the Xbox was the the direct Xbox was conceived as a Dreamcast two of sorts, wasn't it? And they picked up. Yeah various talents because of it they had Shenmue go across onto it yep Virtual uh, Fire the best version was on Xbox other games and obviously Peter Moore who you just mentioned went on to Xbox yeah Microsoft did the big Halo announce with the tattoo thing yep uh, yeah but of course thank it, you, it, all, it all ties back because Dreamcast from Windows yes so thank you Dreamcast <laughs> so I mean if Sega accidentally birthed Microsoft as a gaming platform and Nintendo accidentally birthed Sony yeah. as a gaming platform, then the torture part from Nintendo is still about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ninten Nintendo created its own worst enemy, but has managed to survive. <laughs> and and it's kicking, kicking ass now, yes. And killed its rival in the process of surviving. Yeah. It's deliberate because nobody sees each other like that in the industry. It's just outside of the industry with the the crazy fanboys that people, you know, grab spears and fight to the death. For, no, I, for, I don't know. Lord Xbox. The companies are always see see each other as competition. Like when, sure, when you know, Sony goes, oh, Nintendo's done this. We're going to do that now. 
they did it with the dreamcast they did it with the dreamcast as well if you remember so the dreamcast came out with its vmu what did sony bring out you remember the pocket station oh god (laughs) i hadn't no no but you've just the pocket station was basically a memory card that plugged in that you opened it up and it was its own little system and i think they they released it initially for one of the final fantasy games you'd have a little like a chocobo like a on your thing like a Tamagotchi. They were doing literally exactly the same thing. Fantasy nine. I remember because the, the the Chocobo stuff in it was completely underwhelming compared to seven. So and obviously See kids gaming history can be fun. Yes. For for Chocobo stuff. And also, just like to point out, the Dreamcast was water cooled. I mean how cool was that? That's how far ahead it was. (laughs) It's very cool. I actually didn't know that. That's that's his kind of yeah, you open it up and it's got water pipes going through it. And that's why a lot of them actually went wrong, because they'd burst. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I've got I've got one that's dead. I've got two of them. I'm sure there's some alternate universe where there's a Dreamcast 2 and 3 now, and they're widely successful. They're on the Dreamcast 4. There was no Xbox. Uh, Sony petered off. The PlayStation 3 couldn't withstand against the Dreamcast 2. Yep. That's right. And Atari and... is still sticking with the, with the big two in third place. <laughs> Yeah, unlike whatever Atari is now. Nothing. A name that means nothing. <laughs> yes, a name. And it is the skin of a long-dead Atari worn by the ruins of infograms. Yes, yeah. That... So you mentioned you mentioned the Dreamcast and how lots of people look back on it fondly. Something that I always like to bring up, and I haven't done it yet in our tests that we've done, is that whenever there's a best game of all time voted, everybody always votes for... Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Yeah, Mario 64. On the Nintendo 64, obviously there were only so many units sold, right? I, I don't doubt that it sold better than the Dreamcast, but it certainly didn't sell well. Compared to the other ones, but then you're you're comparing it to like the PS2, which sold, what, 140 million? An obscene amount. So yeah, the, Nintendo, the Nintendo 64 yielded a lifetime sales of 5.5 million sales in Japan, 20.6 million in the Americas, and 6.5 in other regions. So 6.5 across the rest of the world, which is pretty ludicrous. So quick maths, 11, 12. Well, I'm looking here, 32.9 million units worldwide. That's the one. So 32.9. So there were 7.6 million copies of Zelda Ocarina of Time sold. Every single person I meet tells me that Zelda Ocarina of Time was the best game ever made. Because it is. Some of them logically couldn't have played it. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, but what you've got to think of is that, obviously, the, 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 the N64, and maybe like the N64 came out when someone was a baby, but by the time they're old enough to want to play games, they've got a Wii and they've got it on Virtual Console. Yeah, yeah. So that it's... was on Virtual Console later in the lifespan, wasn't it? I thought it was one of the early ones. 64 until much later. Plus, you know, a lot of that is just people just hearing something and repeating it. (laughs) Maybe some of that as well. Monkey see, monkey do, you know, type of thing. It was vastly, I know, completely different console, but just as an example, Zombies Ate My Neighbors, or Link to the Past, or, you know, various SNES games, Syndicate, as you know, all of these games were superior to Zelda Ocarina of Time. Look at the Master System, and you got you got Wonder Boy. I'm sorry, what? Monster Monster World. Wonder Boy. Did you, what, World. did you did you say something was superior to Ocarina of Time? Wonder Boy and Monster World. I'm pretty sure had ocarinas in it as well before. 
and uh, to, to be perfectly wow. honest, as much as I love Ocarina of Time, I don't think it's held up very well. I can't play it anymore. Uh, I think they, it's an amazing game. I think they did brilliant things with 3D technology, and it's got a horse in it, and it's got an ocarina in it, and nice. But I do think that Mask did everything that Ocarina of Time did new vastly better, and oh. f- the other stuff was already done in, in Metroidvanias. Oh. Long before. See, I'm, I'm completely upset. I really like Ocarina of Time. I can't stand Majora's Mask. I, I, I think I've got to the first dungeon and never got any further than that. I've just uh, never been inclined to play it. I just can't get into it at all. Burnt out on Ocarina of Time. Okay. <laughs> Damn fighting words. <laughs> Ocarina of Time is a timeless classic that still holds up to the state and is an amazing game, and I'm holding out for the HD remake. Did you play the 3DS one? No. Was there an HD remake? Am I... This already came out on 3DS and Majora's Mask, and they're, and they're really good. They actually do work, because they fixed a lot of well, weird, I, odd bugs. That oh, yeah, it's on 3DS, that's why. I can't believe you didn't know that the best game ever had come out on uh, 3DS as a redo. Such a, hand, such a, such a fan, such a fan. Handhelds are rubbish, all right? That doesn't count. <laughs> actually, actually, George, uh, as, as you haven't got one of those consoles, um, just I, I think for, for coming out for Black Friday is uh, an old-style 2DS, because you don't really need the 3 bit pointless anyway, it's a gimmick. Uh, so uh, the older-style 2DS in green with Zelda, Arena, Zelda Ocarina of Time uh, built in for $80. So there you go. Black, Black Friday deal for you to go and pick up. <laughs> I, I definitely will. That sounds great. Thank you, Terry. No worries. And anyway, George, we're, 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 we're going to move away from the, the conversation we're having now and come to you with your favourite topic, and that is uh, Naughty Games on Steam. <laughs> I remember I specifically tweeted I wasn't going to talk about this, but I well I wanted to contribute something. Damn it! <laughs> All right, so um, yes, Steam and Naughty Games. This is kind of a timeless subject. Things come up quite often. There's been a recent kind of rumor. I'm not sure if it's anything official yet, or if it's just rumblings from you know the the grapevine, as it were. But basically, you know how there's a Naughty game that comes out, you know, and then usually. Steam pulls it down, and then after they pull it down, they they censor it, they put it back up. But usually after that, the developer puts out a patch, usually in the forums, that lets you, if you choose to, and you have to seek this out on your own, uh, actively uncensor the game. Well, uh, Valve is possibly pulling the plug on that option and not even allowing you to do that anymore. They're basically saying, you can't do that. Now, I'm not sure if there's been an official statement or not, but there's been a lot of rumblings that there has been something eff- effectively said that you, you can't do that anymore. You cannot provide an uncensoring patch for adult games anymore. And it's causing, of course, a lot of uh, people to get upset. A lot of people are streaming censorship and this and that and whatever have you. Yep. And uh, The internet perverts. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So, well, I don't know, it's not perverts. Hey, there's... I respect all gamers. If that's what you like to play, that's your business. They're perverts. They're just particular people like a particular genre, right? And um, it's it's just it's interesting because now they're basically going after you know these conversations that are cropping up in forums of you know it's their game. It's I don't know. It's a very interesting subject because it's on their platform, but it's also the developer's game. If the developer wants to offer a patch. Does Valve have the right to step in on that and yeah, say no? But, no, but the thing the thing is, that the, the way you put it there and the way that I heard it was this company put a game on Steam and Steam have taken it down. 
and ask them to censor it. Getting right. upset that they're then denying you the option to put up an uncensored patch to circumvent what they've already done, that seems a bit stupid. I mean, yes, if, but... If, if, if they've taken the game down and wanted you to censor it, you can't get upset right. that they're getting annoyed at you for putting out a, a patch that uncensors it. I, I, I agree with you. I understand what you're saying there, but this is something that somebody... And again, I'm playing Devil's Advocate, so I don't... It's not something that particularly is like a personal issue to me. I could care less. I just saw it on the news. Funny how um, you constantly bring it up, though, George. I, you know, <laughs> damn it, Terry, come on. I'm trying to keep my <laughs> secret identity as a pervert hidden, man. What's wrong with you? We can all look at your Steam game library, George. I know. <laughs> it's all right there. <laughs> I own so many Sakura games. It's not even, it's not even funny. No, I'm just joking. But it, I mean, it, it's, I agree with you. But I mean, also, it's a fact of the matter is, is that you have to actively seek this out. I mean, it's not being natively installed. There's no, like, auto-uncensor patch. You have to do it yourself. So, I mean, does that sound... I mean, I see what you're saying, but is it fair? Is it not fair? I don't know. Now, I mean, I... My, my, view, my view is that if, if the game had to be censored to get on Steam in the first place, you wouldn't be able to put an uncensoring patch out. That's... I mean, but at the same time, it, Steam isn't stupid. They know that these games are getting on there. It's not like they're not profiting from this. So it's like, okay, yes, sure, they have the right to say whatever they want, but they are also aware that these games are getting on there. Steam really needs to, you know, excuse for the term, but shit or get off the pot. They need yeah, to they, decide if they're going to sell adult games or they're not and stop playing the middleman. Yeah, but I think I, th I think it's, it, it comes down to the fact that what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with Patreon, they've got to be seen to be doing the right thing. You know what I mean? So it, they've they've got to make it look a look. You know, even even if in the background, they, you know, it might not even be happening, and people probably will circumvent it anyway because perverts get what they want. Um, yeah, it, I think it's more of a marketing thing. Like, well, Patreon have gone. All oh, adult games are bad. Maybe we should do something similar to you know raise our profile a little bit and try and distance ourselves from that type of of game. Patreon did was they went after games that were doing something that were kind of illegal. Um, that's what that's what kind of what they were trying to censor were things that were obviously taboo taboo to the point of being illegal. And Steam's in Valve's case, they're just going after any adult game in general, though. Oh, is it just any game, not just yeah, some... any game, any adult game? If they don't want adult games on their store, they need to put it in terms and conditions and deny it when they're applying for it, which means that they're going to need to start checking games rather than waiting on other people to report it. Yeah, but we've discussed this before. So they haven't got enough staff to do that. I mean, if they want, you know, if something is illegal, then say it's illegal and get it off the storefront. It's as simple as that. You know, if this is something that is acceptable in another country but is a massive taboo here, bordering on, bordering on illegality, pull the whole project, pull yeah. the whole product and just say, no, you know, we have assessed your product now. It is not, it is not acceptable for sale in this country, this country, this country, this country. It's off the store and leave it for sale where it's acceptable. But, and then if people really want to get it in the same way that people used to import games that they wanted from elsewhere, people will make a Steam account, set up a, a mirror and download it as though they're living in another country. People will always find a way. So just make people do that. Put it on the storefront where Valve actually deem it acceptable. I've heard of this releasing patches to release content updates to restore stuff. You're doing a beta then, are you? So Valve could put... Dan seems to be having some microphone problems. Hold for editing. <laughs> He's 
He was very passionate about the subject. What did I said? Nothing. We didn't hear a word you said. Okay, right. So out this using a using a beta using the beta section on to push content that was cut out back into the game. Valve can simply say, in my opinion, can simply say that's not what the beta system's for. Entering new content, you're not doing what you're meant to do, get it off. You know. If something is taboo or something is illegal in a country or so taboo that it's nearly illegal in a country, like for instance or random fetishes which are practically if not actually illegal in other countries then Valve should simply all out remove from that region's storefront. They should say no you can't sell it here, legal problems in being a party to you selling it. So then it will mean that it can be only sold on, on local servers in countries where it's acceptable and then if people want to play that they can actively seek it out they can set up a mirror they can download it from wherever they want on their other account and they can do that and that's fine because then the problem isn't with valve and the government it's with the people who have breached the government's exactly by yeah. using a mirror to deal with a version that would not that has not been approved for sale in that country and it completely cuts valve out as the middleman they don't have to get their hands dirty they just say look we've heard this about this this is questionable. We don't want this on our store in this region because it's questionable. You know what? You can sell it in that region. We can set up we can set up Steam Moon region where everything's completely illegal because there's no international space laws. But <laughs> it can't be in the UK storefront because over here we don't like people having sex with badgers. And it can't be in the you know, American storefront because we don't like this. And it can't be in the German storefront because we don't like people having sex with girls in Nazi outfits and it can't be in the Australian you know and and you can I think we got the point <laughs> yeah and so you you can, you can tailor it to the region and you can basically just blacklist it and say this is not acceptable in this region we will not be party to this buggers then you can go and play silly buggers elsewhere if anybody's listening and wondering why I bring up these subjects cuz sex sex with badgers is just hilarious that's why I bring up these subjects <laughs> It's certainly my favourite genre. Uh, um, <laughs> on B3 Moonbase, uh, that's completely <laughs> acceptable, but I'm not having that on B3 uh, Earth. It's, it's, I, it's not happening. I hope that's the preview for that little minisode, was just sex with badgers. No, um, I, I agree with you. I completely agree with what Dan said. I think, yes, the problem is, is that Steam will not make, a, make up their mind. They keep playing this game where they're profiting from it, but they're also punishing it. They're allowing it, but they're going, no, 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 stop it. So I think I think Valve really needs to make up their damn minds and either sell them and sell them or don't and end it. Simple as that. There's Like Dan said, there will always be people who will always go, sex sells. So there will always be people who will go wherever they need to go to get that. But Valve needs to make up their minds if they're going to what? <laughs> Apparently I just got bigger. <laughs> Sorry, that was my phone. I've got to mute it before the. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't even know what I was saying anymore. Uh, they need to basically make up their mind if they're going to go with it or not. Simple as that. Sex with Badgers. Indeed. Well, thank you for that uh, rather long tirade, Dan. But it was very informative. Right. So last last one, a little a little quick one. Um, so, Bossa. Uh, have got a game called Deck Splash, which is a bizarre combination of Tony Hawk and Splatoon. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to use Dan's words here. 
they are totally going to shit can it if they can't get a hundred thousand users playing it over the free week. So Dan, you want to take it away? You put this on there. So the the next line I put down was I actually think that this is a good way to gauge market penetration, although it's done in a bit of a brash manner. So the game. I've really enjoyed it. It's essentially those little fingerboards yeah. or skateboards. Uh, and when you land, then your score, the amount of splash that you cause when you land. So if you do some completely sick tricks in the air and land a grind and all sorts of other skating terminology, and then you land, then you cause a massive impact and you, you, paint, <laughs> the, you paint the area and it's lovely, right? And so it's two teams and you've got to basically redecorate this, this skate park. Oh, Tony Hawk makes a platoon, as I mentioned there. And it's just really cool. Uh, I'm not sure what their business model was, whether they were going to add in more maps or add in more boards or whether they were going to charge for boards or have a progression system. Because when I last played it, it was quite early on. I think it was the first test that they did. But I don't want to talk so much about the game as I want to talk about how they are being so t- about something that's logical thing. You're breaking up oh. a lot again, Dan. Oh, we're missing lots of words. Oh. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. Clearly, plain yep. and clear. Yep. I get feedback of yourself as well. I've turned down my voice activity button. Okay, cool. But uh, lost. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I think you were talking about how they were going to sell either more boards or more levels, uh, something to that effect. I don't know whether they're going to sell more boards or sell more levels or what they're going to do for their actual business plan and make it sustainable whether they're going to charge a fiver and that's it and that will cover the servers or whatever but what i want to talk about is the fact that what they've done in what we're just going to can this game if we don't get a hundred thousand people playing it that may seem brash and ridiculous which it it does seem a bit brash and ridiculous but it's actually cold hard logic uh when it comes to betas betas are demos yep really a lot of a lot of the time, rather than releasing a demo, a big company will release a beta just to get people in to stress test it, but also to get the hypes. So, yeah, that's the hype. what they are more these days than anything else. Exactly. So, with these betas, for a while, you know, they've always been moderately populated. Betas aren't populated. Then, when they launch onto a storefront that is getting 60 odd games releasing a day or however many releasing a month to make enough of an impact in that first few hours to get onto the now trending or now selling list and to get up the top and everywhere. Uh, if they haven't got faith in which or written articles, then they're not going to get, in their opinion, it's not worth them time to try and get onto those free platforms because they need those initial sales in order to get that big. I think the best way to do that and they're logical in doing that is is by converting beta players or free weekend players into I think See, this is actually a smart way of doing it uh, and and put simply hundred thousand is a ridiculous number they probably don't need a hundred thousand they'll probably be quite happy to launch if they get thirty thousand or fifty thousand or eighty thousand but it's really it's it's transparent of them which is nice see when when I heard about this i, I kind of I, 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 let's keep in mind, this is Bossa Studios. These are the guys that put out um, Toast Simulator, right? These are the same people? I am bread, yeah, yeah. I am bread, yeah, okay. So when, when I read about this, I'm sorry. I think it's a bunch of hooey. I think it's it's totally smoke and mirrors. I don't buy it. 
I don't think that a developer would put time into developing assets, creating all of these physics and mechanics and all these games for one weekend's worth of testing to determine the fate of a game. I think that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It, it depends, I, though, George, because to be honest, if, if, you've, if you've not played it, there ain't much in this. They, okay, a, but, a, a good developer could have knocked this, knocked this game out in a week. I, uh, okay. But, I mean, also you have to keep in mind that an audience grows. An, audi- an audience doesn't just explode overnight. I mean, yeah, there's obviously certain cases where you know, you're going to get a bajillion people playing your game just because off of the name or whatever have you or the developer. But there's also a thing about a, an audience growing that there's word of mouth. I mean, PUBG, if PUBG had done the same thing, there wouldn't be a PUBG because no one knew about it. It wouldn't exist. So I, th- I really think this is a bunch of hooey. I think it, th- this isn't. I completely think the opposite. I think this isn't a scientific way to do this. I think this is total crap because word of mouth travels. You cannot predict what is going to work and what isn't based off of one weekend. That's ridiculous. And I think this is just a stunt. I think this is Bossa Studios just blowing hot smoke up our butts and they're lying. They're going to put this game out no matter what happens. Period. Interesting take. I think we'll probably see it go live anyway but their support for it will probably be ridiculously diminished. And that's depending entirely on how they manage their servers. You know, are they really, is it really going to be worth getting these servers there if the audience isn't growing? Had it playable pretty early on, I think it was announced and playable about a fortnight later. And they have got an amazing team up at, up at Bossa, an absolutely amazing team, uh, that I think formed up in about 2011. They've been going about five, six years, and they've they've done some absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, they they pick up talent left, right, and center, yeah. and they can turn out stuff like this quite regularly. Uh, one of those places that, a bit like people regard Valve, can start work on a new project, pull this person from this project, do this, do that, and just get a new thing out there and going. And so I think... I th- think in my opinion if they do have willingness to go right this is going to be a commercial failure we we haven't had the impact on launch we're going to cut it now a lot of nail biting and a lot of resources i i would agree with you if there was a lot more active development to be done but if they're giving a free weekend away and they're letting anybody play it that means essentially more or less there's a playable product here which means that they'll say a good 80% of the game is done or 70%, 60%. I'll give you and give you that. Are you telling me that you wouldn't slap a price on that and throw it out in the store so you could make some money off of it instead of none? In it probably May or June. Uh, pretty sure it was before E3. Then it, it needed some mechanic tweaking. It needed more levels. It needed more textures. It needed more board designs and stuff but the core of the game was there so so i don't know quite what they've done in in all of this time since but the game is essentially i wouldn't say finished because they probably want it to be a living prod project but uh definitely playable <laughs> well i i call i call uh i think this is a stunt i think this is just literally a pr stunt i call foul but that's just my opinion <laughs> See, my, my thoughts on this what we discussed last week which this would be a good fit there, just purely because you've got the Splatoon crowd up. I could see that, yeah. And then you could have like the, the little controllers, the rumble things being kind of like individual boards. I think that'd oh, be cute. Not only that, motion control. Yeah, exactly. 
spin you spin literally spin the controller in midair. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Be really good. And indie sale on the Switch, they could get a hundred thousand people sales on the Switch easy. Terry, do you work for Nintendo? What's going on here, man? No, uh, <laughs> I hate the word fanboy, but you probably could say oh, I am a fanboy. No, but I'm just joking. But I do see. I do think that actually, it's a cute idea. Actually, I like that. It would work. It would totally work. We'll have but to only only we time will tell. Yeah, only time will tell. I guess as to what happens. Yeah, to be honest, I, I, I mean, I played the, the the first alpha test of it, and I could not get a hold of the controls at all. It was so weird. But then I've I've never been good at any of Boss's games, Surgeon Simulator, and that I am bred. I'm not. I'm not good. good with them games that have purposely obtuse control system. I am bred. I didn't get. I I didn't quite click with Surgeon Simulator at first, but I went back to it. and It was fine. I find that a lot easier than was it ridiculous archery. I found it a lot easier than that. Uh, but probably archery. Splash. My my big problem with Deck Splash. Deck Splash was that uh, there was no real progression. I was getting awesome points and causing a little, you know, a big old puddle on the ground or whatever. But bonus points for having a high score. There was no this. There was no. There were no. You've gone back to the menu. Great. You're level fifteen now. You've unlocked one of these. One of these. One of these. Uh, there was no riding on the top of the skateboard now. There was no big head mode. There was no, you know, there there was so much room for something else in there. Uh, yeah, it, it felt like a tech demo. Um, theoretically, it probably was at oh, the yeah. time. I mean, it, it like I said, it was it was it was functional. Tech demo is a bit harsh, but but yeah, it definitely felt like uh, it was closer to the blank tablet slate was the finished product but then why would they continue finishing a product if they've not already got the interest that they feel that it needs in order to hit the market running yeah i suppose i I suppose the question i suppose the question is is how much development is done and how much isn't which they haven't really elaborated on either so it's hard to call agreed and on that note i think that brings us to the end of episode 12 i've been trench j they've been dan and george we'll be back next week bye bye Bye. Bye.